Uh, if you guys are new with us this morning, my name is Chris, one of the pastors on staff here at Anthem Coeur d'Alene. And uh, we just welcome you here this morning. Thank you for spending this morning with us. Uh, we've been in this study in the book of Matthew for like the last almost year, uh, the last eight or nine months of which we've specifically been in a portion of Matthew's uh, book, Jesus' teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been working through this for like eight or nine months. And this morning, we sort of put an end to the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought it was just really fitting the way that this timed with this gathering this morning and didn't really want to miss the opportunity to end it on this note in the current kind of cultural climate we're in, in the setting we're in here with lots of new people um, standing with us this morning. It just seems so appropriate that the Lord would provide us the ability to come together and study this text this morning. And so if you guys have your Bibles with you, and you might be able to see it on the screen, but if not, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29 this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this amazing weather. I thank you for each individual that's uh, here today, God. I know that it's not coincidence that you brought them here this morning, that you allowed them uh, to have life, Lord, to have oxygen, air in their lungs, and these eyes to see and these ears to hear. And I pray, Jesus, this morning we submit these things to you. We know that it's you that is sustaining every aspect of life this morning, and we're grateful to be alive, Lord, grateful to be on this earth at such a time as this. And I pray, Jesus, this morning you'd use your word to speak to us, to resonate in our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Has anybody here ever heard the, the name Bernie Krause? Does anybody know that name, if I say it? Uh, okay, not, not many. Bernie Krause uh, was a man who began his career in the recording industry in like the late 1960s. And Bernie had kind of an odd niche in the recording industry. What he did was actually recorded uh, uh, sounds for like museums and installations and soundtracks and stuff. So has anybody here ever been to a zoo or you've been to a museum and you've heard the live recordings of different animals in the background or water or whatever it is? Bernie was probably the one that created those sounds, those audio recordings, but he spent his life capturing these sounds of birds and mammals and amphibians. And in fact, um, in the 1980s, he actually helped record the sounds of this humpback whale uh, feeding in order to lure this other female lump, uh, humpback whale that had got lost in this river delta in Sacramento back out into the Pacific Ocean. So they used his audio recordings to lure this whale back out in the Pacific Ocean. Pretty interesting job that he had. And his story is pretty remarkable. But he spent his life recording various audio clips in nature. And in this talk that he gave in 2013, Bernie said that in 1968, he would go spend about 10 hours recording and he would gather about one hour of usable material from 10 hours worth of recordings. So he'd record for 10 hours worth of stuff and then he'd sit in the editing studio and only an hour of that 10 hours was actually usable. So he was cutting out all these excess sounds and background noise and stuff. Uh, in 2013, he said that it was taking him at that point about a thousand hours to get the same hour's worth of sounds. So what used to be 10 hours that he'd get an hour's worth out of, it took him a thousand hours to get one hour out of that. Can you imagine today how many hours it would take to actually get that 
like good quality sound if you were out recording today? How many different noises and, and clips would you hear in the background if you were trying to get, let's just say like one bird specifically, and there's all these other noises going on in the background. And I was thinking about this this week that I, I thought that there's, there's no way, like the, there's, there's absolutely no way that there's too much noise in our world today to actually get those dialed audio clips. And that's the problem. There's no way to do it because our world is too noisy. Our world is so loud. And the reason is that, that we're just inundated with sounds. And, and I was in New York City last year, and one of the things that we noticed like day one walking around the city was almost every person was wearing headphones or earbuds everywhere you went. And so it made me think that we're walking in this insanely noisy environment and the only way for anybody to experience quiet in the most noisy of environments or a version of it was by pumping sound into their ears that seemed better than all the other noise that was going on around them. And that's how much noise we have around us today. And it's not just audible because our phones are always vibrating and a text is going off and we get calls and notifications. Some of us have tweets that we're constantly checking or Facebook posts that we're constantly looking at and it's like a drug. And if you just sit there and you keep refreshing it, you'll just see more and more information over and over and over again. It's constant noise and it's hitting us all the time. I heard this author comment on this once, and she said, we're swimming in a sea of, world, of words while listening to very few of them. We're swimming in a sea of words and listening to very few. And I thought it was a brilliant quote because that's life, isn't it? That's where we're at in our world today. We have words bombarding us all of the time, and you wonder if we're actually listening to any of the words that are coming in. There's a sea of them, but we're not actually listening. In Jesus's day, the Jewish people had a prayer that they would memorize. And this prayer was called the Shema. I've talked about it before. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. And the prayer says this, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Now, the, the, the first word in this passage in the Hebrew is this word Shema, this word hear. And the word for hear, it's this amazing word in the Hebrew because in the Hebrew language, they didn't have a word for obey. They didn't really have a word for listen either. They had this word Shema, and it was the word for hear, and it was the word for listen, and it was the word for hear, and it was the word for obey. It was kind of all lumped into one. So if you heard something, you didn't just hear something, you listened and you responded. So to hear was to actually do what was said. When you heard it, you actually responded to it. And it's sort of like a, a pair of binoculars. How many of you remember the first time somebody ever handed you a pair of binoculars to look into them when you were a kid? Anybody? What, what did you do? You didn't know how to use them. So you might stand there at first and you're just staring at these binoculars like, I have no idea what these do. And then somebody says, no, 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 look through the lenses. And so then you put them up to your eyes and what do you realize when you look into them as a kid? I can't see anything. You're looking at the glass until somebody actually instructs you and says, no, 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 you're not supposed to just look at the lens. You're supposed to look through the lens, aren't you? There's something on the other side of the lens and you need to learn to look through it. But that actually takes intentionality for us to look at, not just look at the lens, but to look through the lens. And there's a difference between that, isn't there? A difference between looking at a lens and looking through a lens. Because the problem is that we often hope to look at the lens and get some sort of results. Like I would love to just stare at these binoculars and see across this pond, but the reality is that I probably won't. 
unless I actually learn to look through the lens. You have to look through them. You have to actually allow your eyes to intentionally reset and calibrate themselves in order to see through a lens. And if you can't do this, then binoculars actually don't work at all. And it's actually the same thing with our hearing. The problem is that sometimes we hear things, but we aren't really listening. We hear them, but we aren't listening because to listen means to take heed of what you hear and to do something about it. How many parents can say amen to that one, right? It means to do something. This is true in my house all of the time, and most of you husbands can probably understand. My, my wife looks at me and she says, hey, babe, did you hear what I just said? And what do I say? Yeah? Yeah, I heard you. And then she says, what did, you, what did I say? And you're like, um... You know, come again. It's like, I, I, I heard it, but, but I didn't really hear it. Because if I really listened and I intentionally picked up on what she was saying, I'd actually do something with what it is that she asked of me, what she said to me. And that's what we do. We hear all of these things, but we don't really listen to them. And as Jesus wraps up his most famous sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount, this is exactly the point that Jesus is making. Jesus, he, he sits on this mountain and he gathers this crowd and he begins to speak to them. This is why the setting is so cool this morning that we're outside talking about this. And Jesus begins to speak to them. And for us, it's taken almost nine months to get through the entire Sermon on the Mount. There's a ton of content here. Jesus has said a ton of words in the last nine months. Most of you are like, yeah, get over it. Um, but I, I want you to hear what Jesus is about to say. I want you to hear the context of this idea that people back then understood hearing as listening. They understood hearing as obeying. They, they understood that to hear actually meant to do. And so what Jesus says is so fascinating because he's looking at them and he's saying, look, I said all this stuff. I said all of these words. Have you actually heard me? Is what Jesus is asking. So listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 7, verse 24 to 29, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who then, then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And he wraps up, he says, and, then, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. So this is what Jesus is trying to teach these people. Look, here's this reality, he says. If you're wise, you're going to hear what I've said, and you're actually going to do what I said, and that's the way you're supposed to live. That's what hearing is all about. Hearing is doing. Hearing is listening. And he says, but, but then there's this foolish man, and he says, this foolish man, he hears, and it just goes right out the other ear. And he said, his house isn't built on any sort of foundation at all. He does nothing with what it is that he's hearing. And so the, the context for this whole sermon that Jesus is giving that took us nine months and took Jesus maybe a matter of hours, um, the context is so cool because a couple hundred miles south from where Jesus is teaching is the city of Jerusalem. Anybody ever been to Jerusalem before? A handful of you. 
So a couple hundred miles south from where Jesus is teaching this is the city of Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, when Jesus is teaching this story, King Herod has a group of people and they're building the temple. They're working on the temple. There was so much propaganda about this temple going around. And the propaganda was that this was going to be this incredible, huge temple. It was going to be the greatest temple that they'd ever seen in all of Israel and all of history, like a monument to itself. And so they, they used this language. They said that this is God's house, that this is where God is going to reside and it's going to be perfect. And then they said this house, this temple, God's house, this temple, they said, is built on a rock. And there's still something there today. For those of you that have been there, it's called the Dome of the Rock. And it's still in Jerusalem to this day because it's actually built on a rock. And now what's fascinating about this is think about these guys that Jesus is teaching this parable to. And he says, look, there's the wise man, and the wise man will build a house on a rock if he's hearing and doing and listening to my words. It's basically what Jesus is saying. And then just to the south, here are these people apparently building a house, God's house, supposedly, on a rock. But listen to a couple of stories that happen. Like not long after this, Jesus is teaching, and he asked this one important question. He'd been asking his disciples, what do people think about me? What do they say about me? What do people say that I, who do people say that I am? What do they, what do people think of my teaching? You know, what are people doing with this? And listen to this conversation that happens. He, he looks at his disciples and he says, what about you? What do you say? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, one of his disciples shouts out, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you're a Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And it's this beautiful picture that Jesus paints here. So everyone else is in the temple in Jerusalem, building this temple, God's house on this rock. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Jesus says, the church, that this gathering of followers of me that I have, this is what's going to be built on the rock. And so this belief in who Jesus is, the belief in what Jesus said, the belief in what Jesus was all about, this, that is what is built upon the rock. He is at the core of it. And now, again, not long after this, Jesus ends up back in Jerusalem. And as he's teaching, he's calling out people who don't live right. And, and these were the religious leaders he's going after, the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, the, the ones who wanted this temple built. And they're the ones saying like, we need this temple. We need this monument. We need this religion. This is how things need to be. The, the temple was supposed to be a sign of these people who are following God. Yet if you think about it, they're actually very confused because the things that they began to follow and do were not the things that Jesus actually claimed were his way. And so if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, well, you've heard it said and then he would say, but I tell you, this is what you know of what was said in the Old Testament. And this is what I say. And the Pharisees knew the Old Testament scriptures, but Jesus was teaching them this whole new way. So Jesus is telling the people, you know, the Pharisees tell you this, but actually I tell you this. And if you think about it, this was like, like the most revolutionary thing that Jesus could have said. This is the kind of stuff that actually gets people killed because he, he looks at them and he says, oh, your temple of religion, this isn't going to survive. Now, now there's, this, there, there's all sorts of metaphors going on in here. 
um, there's all things, sorts of things happening around this, but this isn't just about a building. It's actually this revolutionary, revolutionary statement about faith that Jesus is making. See, these are people, these are teachers who knew all sorts of things about scripture. And I want you to remember this, that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the people that Jesus was talking to, and he said these, that he, he, that he said things like these hypocrites and things like that. These are people who knew the word. They had it memorized. They knew the Bible since they were little children. They were memorized entire passages and books of the Old Testament. They could quote the whole thing backwards and forwards to you. They knew scripture, but the issue was this. They heard it. They heard it. They knew the words, but it didn't mean anything to them. It wasn't actually anything that was lived out. It just was in one ear and out the other. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, you can have this big temple. You can have all your rituals. You can have words and you can have all of these things. But it's a weak foundation because nothing about your life looks any different. It's not actually lived out. Nothing has changed. And so Jesus stepped in the, in the world and he showed us this completely different way to live. Totally countercultural. And when you start to think about it, I feel like as we started to read through the Sermon on the Mount eight or nine months ago, I felt like a lot of this was really familiar to me. Just to be honest, I've heard this before. I know this story. Remember, Jesus said this, and one time Jesus said that, and I, and, I, and I feel like we get into it, and we hear these stories over and over again, and we say, yeah, I get it, I get it, I know the story. God, I know all of this stuff. But here's the problem, is we've become so familiar with the words of Jesus that we've actually become numb to them. We become so familiar with the words of Jesus that they're not unfamiliar enough to us anymore. We've come, become culturally connected to this, but it's not revolutionary. And that's kind of what I want to look at with this, that, that, that faith isn't about just knowledge. It isn't just about knowing these passages. It isn't just about knowing these words of Jesus. It's about becoming like him. If our faith isn't causing us to become something different, then there's nothing about our faith that's real at all. And so we often talk about the tension that exists when we read the words of Jesus and we begin to ask, so am I supposed to live this out? Any of you ever asked that question before? Like you feel the tension, you're like, am I actually supposed to do this? Or is this just all kind of a metaphor? I just need to listen to it, take in the story, like it's a good story, but do, does he actually expect me to walk this out? And I would say, when it comes to the words of Jesus, I think it'd be good for us to lean in a little further when we hear them. To stop looking at the words, hoping that observation would do something to change us, and that we'd be a people that would look through the words of Jesus and apply them to our lives. We can often read the words about greed and generosity and judgment that we've spent the last several months in. And we can say, you know, I feel like I'm a really generous person, so I think I'm good. I, I think you might want to lean in a little further and actually feel the tension a little bit more, to be honest. We think, oh, I'm not judgmental. I don't judge people. I'd say, lean in and open up your heart this morning. 
because his words should sting a little as we realize he's calling us out of the boat to live a life that's countercultural to the rest of this world. When we walk in faith, we should feel that tension in our lives. We should. If you're an athlete at all, maybe you're a runner, maybe you walk a lot or you bike or anything that actually gets you out on the road. The first mile sucks, doesn't it? You get out there, the first mile running is the worst because your body's acclimating, you're trying to find a rhythm, your lungs are trying to acclimate to what you're doing. It's always the most difficult. But eventually you get out far enough and you begin to hit this stride and it starts to feel natural like second nature. And you always know when it's time to up your mileage in your running plan because your current mileage plan just becomes easy. So then you decide to push yourself a little bit harder. And I think this is true of faith. That there's a point where we have to begin to push ourselves because sometimes it's second nature, which isn't always bad that that becomes our second nature. But I can tell you, honestly, at 41 years old, I've often backed myself off of bigger steps of faith the older I get in order to play things a little more comfortably, to not have to feel the tension quite as much. And the reality is that we should be becoming, we should be changing, we should always be allowing God to work in our lives and point out places where we become more like Jesus. I don't think there's ever going to be a day that I stand up and I, and I go, well, I think I've arrived. Like, I've made it. I'm good. I look at my life and I look a lot like Jesus. I think I'm totally good. If I walked out here today and I said that to you guys, like, I have an announcement to make. I've become like Jesus. You'd be like, peace. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm in process. And he says, look, I get that you've heard the words. He says this to the religious. Look, I, I get that you've built the temple, that you've created the ritual. But that's a weak foundation. He, he, he says a knowing faith is not a real foundation. A becoming faith is a foundation that actually withstands. And that's a faith that will continue. And so as we close the Sermon on the Mount, I want to jump forward real quick. I want to jump to the book of James. Um, for those of you uh, that are familiar with James, James was written by a brother of Jesus. And it's a really fascinating book because um, it's written by Jesus's brother. But if Jesus was your brother... Uh, would you not be the most cynical person around? <laughs> and if Jesus, your brother, walked in and said, hey, man, I'm the Messiah, the Savior of the world, you'd be like, no way. I know you. <laughs> you know, like, I, I know you are. And that's James. He, he, starts out, he starts out in life fairly cynical. He, he wasn't believing. He wasn't sure. And then he's around for Jesus' resurrection. He witnesses it. He, he becomes a believer and Jesus is no longer just his brother, he's his savior. And James takes his faith and it actually becomes real in his life. So imagine James wrestling with this. Like, I have to not only listen to my brother, I have to do what my brother says. Because what he said meant something. What he said has power. It's meaningful to this world. James ends up starting some churches and this is what he said. He, listen to this, he said, this is so great. He says, but be people who do the word, not merely people who hear it and deceive themselves. Someone who hears the word but doesn't do it, you see, is like a man who looks at his own natural face in a mirror. 
He notices himself, but then he goes away and quickly forgets what he looked like. But the person who looks in the perfect law of freedom, what a cool phrase, and goes on with it, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who does, such a person is blessed in their doing. That's what James says. He says, look, I don't think life is the kind of life that should be lived by just hearing it. Let's be doers of it. Let's not just hear, let's actually do it. I love the picture that he paints. A couple of pictures here. One, he says that there's one way to live. And he says, it's the guy who looks in the mirror. Uh, This is one of the ways, looks in the mirror, and then he quickly forgets what he looks like. And it sounds like such a funny thing. What an image. He looks in the mirror and he says, oh yeah, that's me. And then he walks away and he totally forgets who he was. What do I look like again? (laughs) And then the second image he paints is this. He says, there's a different way to live. And he uses this phrase. He says, but the person who looks into the perfect law of freedom. That sounds deep and theological, but it's actually very cool. This is James' way of describing the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is a promise that in his words, we would actually find life. And I love that James sort of creates his own word for what it means to live out this way of Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome to have your own understanding, your own word for what it means and how to explain it? And James says, looking into the perfect way of freedom. Maybe for you, it's a different kind of phrase that helps you walk that out. But James says, look, follower of Jesus. Ultimately, it's about hearing and doing. And then I I, I love this, like how how he says this. Such a person is blessed in their doing. He says blessed. And here's what this is about. It's not a promise that life is going to be perfect. Like I... I think that we all have, have figured that out by now, but there's this promise. It's the promise that when storms hit, the foundation will not slide away. And what Jesus taught was a foundation of God's love, of our love, of the love that we have in this community that he calls the church. And when you have love like that, the foundation of your life is a life that can stand up to anything. And that's why Jesus says the gates of hell cannot overcome it. That's a good thing, church. The gates of hell can't overcome it. Think about that for a minute. If we live like Jesus taught, if we were actually hearers and doers of what Jesus taught, imagine how much different this world would look like. Imagine if just this group of people that are sitting here today begin to live like that. How much would that change? Just this group of people, the few hundred that are sitting out, how much different would our city look if we just started responding to Jesus as he leads in our life? Going as he say go, says go, being obedient to his words that are in his scriptures. And if we understood what Jesus said about God's love and about our love for each other, about our love in this place, this location, it would be incredible. And so listen how Matthew closes this up. So rather than the words of Jesus closing the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew puts two last verses on here. Matthew kind of puts his own tag at the end of Jesus' sermon. And it says this, and when Jesus finished these sayings, and what I want to remind you this morning is that he's not just talking about this rock portion in your foundation. When he says when Jesus finished these sayings, what he's talking about 
is the three chapters that are written before it, the whole sermon itself. When Jesus finished this sermon, and it's sort of like Jesus drops the mic, he finishes the sermon, he walks away, and when it was all said and done, Matthew says this, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. I love the way he ends this. It's not like these guys who say, here's a way to live, but they don't actually live it out. They actually say, in Jesus, we saw authority. In Jesus, we saw realness and authenticity. In Jesus, they saw Jesus who actually encapsulated the things that he was teaching. He modeled them, lived them out. And now that's the end of the sermon. Like, that's it. And that's, that's the end of the, the, the message on the mount. And here's what's crazy about this, is you can literally go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and you can start over again and again and again, and we could just keep going over these same things over and over and over again, because following Jesus is not easy. But Jesus showed the world a brand new way to live. It was revolutionary, upside down, life-changing. We've been talking about this for months, and here's the challenge I think this sentence gives us. So we can read, so we can think, so we can hear about Jesus' words, or we can actually do them. We can be people who hear words about loving God and loving others. We can say, oh, that's such a great statement, or we begin to be people that actually put action, feet to the things that he's saying. And this is what Jesus is saying. It wasn't just the tagline. What if we actually were the kind of people who loved God and loved others? What if that actually was the case? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints this picture of a world that almost seems impossible as you read through it. Just crazy. And I think that's what he wants. He says, what if? What if you got caught up in this? What if you allowed your imagination to run with this? What if you looked at this and you said, can you imagine what the world would look like and how things would be different? And I began to imagine this myself this week. Like, can you imagine actually when, when, I, when I looked at these sermons and I just went, what if? In the world we live in now, what if? I mean, what if we actually lived like this? What would be different? Can you imagine a group of people in North Idaho, if they got together and they began to actually walk, become like Jesus, what would our area look like? And this is what Jesus is saying. I have to imagine he gets a, he gets like a point at the end of the sermon and everybody sort of goes, all right, good sermon, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, no, listen. What if you actually lived this way? What would be different about our world? It's incredible to even think about that. If we truly hear and begin to live like Jesus, we'll actually show the world radical, generous faith that changes our world. It will change us in ways that we could never ask or imagine, this radical, generous, generous faith. And sometimes when I talk about this, I just feel like, I want to stop playing church. I get sick of it. Like, I, I, want, I want the church to be the church. Because playing churches is hearing and listening and understanding things. 
but not actually doing anything about it. I don't want to play church. I want to be the church. I want to see the world changed and transformed and different. I want to be the kind of church that if we disappeared tomorrow, people would go, where did all those people go? I mean, the way they loved God, the way they loved the other people, we can't imagine this community without them. That's the kind of people that we're supposed to be. And the question is, what do you do about it? And the crazy thing is that the reason these things are true isn't just because they were said. It isn't because we heard them. It's because they were said by Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Son of God, sent to the world to deliver us from our sins. The reason these words took heart and he spoke from authority was because he was not just another scribe or a prophet or a teacher. He was Jesus. And so for you this morning, I'd ask that question because it's Jesus saying these things. What do you do? It's not just a good book we're reading. It's not a fairy tale. It reminds me of the conversation with Peter I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. Where he kind of goes like, but what about you? Like, who do you say I am? And, and that how I want to close our study on the Sermon on the Mount is by asking you that question this morning. Like, who do you say that he is? Is he the son of God? And that's the question you need to ask yourself this morning. Is Jesus simply a teacher with good ideas? Is Jesus just simply someone who said some really good things that you can attend a church service or a Bible study and read about and feel good about yourself? Or does Jesus actually have authority in your life? Does he? Are we actually going to lean in and allow Jesus to change us? I want to do a couple things as we close this morning. First one is this, if you have never made that decision to surrender your life to Jesus, to acknowledge him as king of your life, to believe that he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he resurrected again three days later, that he sent his Holy Spirit to, do, to dwell within you, and that he's actually called you out to be the salt and the light of the earth with his spirit in you to bring something to the table on this earth because his spirit is moving through you for others to see him manifest himself through you, through your love, your generosity, the grace and forgiveness that you show others that no other human can do because it's the love of God through you that allows you to do that forever for others. If you have not made that decision to follow after Jesus, to acknowledge him as an authority in your life, I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. We have a prayer team over here at, the, at that community table. They'd love to pray with you. If you're here this morning, you're just like, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Come grab one of us. I would love to pray with you. I'd love to get you a Bible. I'd love to talk this through with you and get you off on the right foot. But the second person I want to pray for today is probably the one that I would say is the majority here this morning. 
those of you that know him, potentially in your life, you've stopped looking through the binoculars and you've just began looking at them and expecting transformation, expecting things to happen when all you're doing is looking at them and not looking through them, when all you're doing is hearing but not actually listening and doing. Some of you, you read his words, you hear his words. You've stopped walking in faith altogether to let him lead. And I know this is true of some of us because I've sensed it in my own life. Seasons where I was willing to bet the farm and jump in for Jesus no matter what the cost. And watching yourself get older and realizing your comfort was a little bit more important. Stability was a little bit more important. And there's no way you could take the risk that you used to when you were young. And I think this morning Jesus is saying, come on out of the boat. (laughs) And I want to pray for you this morning that the Lord would rejuvenate us. Let this morning be a reminder as we place Jesus front and center on the stage this morning that he does speak as one with authority. And because he has authority when he talks, we don't allow it to go in one ear and out the other. We actually hear what he's saying and we respond. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for each soul represented here on this hill today. What an honor, Jesus, to gather as your church Jesus, we would not be here this morning if it wasn't for the sacrifice you paid on that cross. The one thing that binds us all together this morning, you. And so we thank you and we honor you. As we sing these songs this morning, we don't just sing them as platitudes. We, we, we sing them from our hearts and we honor and glorify the name of Jesus because you're the name above all the other names. You're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're the Alpha and the Omega. There is nothing beyond you. And so this morning, our hearts cry out to you, God. We also recognize that some of us have fallen short and we desperately need your hand this morning. Show your grace to those here this morning that need you to pick them up. And Lord, in the midst of the crazy environment we find ourselves in in our world today, what a privilege it is to walk this earth. That by your spirit, the light shining through us, all men and women, sons and daughters, would come to know the Most High God. And so I pray, Jesus, that your church would respond, that we would be more than hearers, and we would be doers. God, but we would walk in the grace that you've bestowed upon us, God, that we couldn't earn for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for the tremendous gift that you've given us. And I pray, God, that you just go with each person here, that you'd not just bless them, Lord, but you'd be with them and you'd walk with them, go before them and behind them and beside them and above them and beneath them. Jesus, remind them this morning, um, Lord, that 
Life is not about our comfort. It's not about getting what we want. It's about holding on to you as tightly as we can and being led by you into the unknown, Jesus, and being willing to risk our lives for the sake of the gospel that all would come to know Jesus and that the end of our days we would be found before you as good and faithful servants, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Would you sing with us?